There you go. Good morning. Welcome to uh, Christmas time uh, here at Tapestry. Um, now, there is something inside of all of us, uh, and this is a fairly universal thing. There's a few people that buck this trend, but there's something inside most of us that usually uh, expects the worst. Doesn't matter what the situation, we expect the worst. Uh, why is it uh, that when it comes to someone, especially uh, in authority over us, um, interactions we assume are going to be bad news? Uh, it's something that, that happens over and over and over again. Um, if you get a letter in the mail from the IRS, you don't bring, gather the family around. Family, come around. <laughs> We've gotten a letter from the IRS. Let's see what they have to say. Uh, no, you assume it's going to be assume it's going to be bad news. Um, or when when you were a kid and your parents called you from the other room, hey, get in here. You just you know you assumed it was bad, right? You're like, uh oh, I'm in trouble. You start going through all the things you could be in trouble for, wondering which one they found out about, right? Or when you were in school, uh, anybody have the experience where uh, they came over the loudspeaker and would call somebody down to the principal's office? Yeah, uh, Andy Blair, please report to the principal's office. You know, and like, and if, if your name was called, everybody in the classroom around you would be like, ooh, what did you do? And you're going down and you're like, man, I know all the things I've done. Who told on me? Like, which one is it? What am I, what am I in trouble for? How did they find out, right? Um, or, you know, if you get a message that your boss wants to see you after work, right, you know, assumption is this is not good. Right? This is going to be uh, bad news. Now, there's this sense when it comes to authority uh, and authority figures um, that if they want to talk to you, it's going to be bad. That generally, that's when communication happens from them. Now, I'm not sure where this came from, uh, but this is nearly universal with people. This is a, a universal uh, exper uh, experience. Uh, if there's a message from authority, it's going to be bad, and we don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear it. We just want to assume everything's good, go on with our life, and not hear from the people in charge. Now, somewhere along the way, uh, we have kind of attached that emotion and feeling to God as kind of the ultimate uh, authority uh, figure. Uh, if God were to uh, send us a letter, we wouldn't want to open it. <laughs> I promise you. If I got a mail in the letter from God, I would just let it sit there. Um, kind of like, you know, Schrodinger's cat. As long as I don't open it, all the possibilities are endless. It can be any of those things. And so I'm just going to leave it sit there and be, because I don't want to read the bad thing that it is. Um, right? Now, if God were to send me a text saying, hey, Andy, we need to talk, uh, I would just delete that text. And if God ever brought it back up, I'd be like, oh, I never got it. I didn't see it. I didn't know. You know, because uh, that'd be a scary text to get from God, right? And, and if we did get that text, we would immediately start rehearsing. Like, oh, well, these are the things I've done, or this is what I haven't done, and these were the circumstances surrounding it, and this was my intention, and these are my reasons and excuses, and we would have it all set up to try and defend ourselves, just assuming right away that it was going to be bad, because there's this, this, sense when it comes to God that if God wants to talk to us, it's not going to be a good thing. Now, even if you don't have a very formal or fully developed uh, faith or aren't sure about how the whole God thing really works, um, even with all of that, um, you know, if you had to talk with God, you intrinsically know that uh, God is holy and we are not, right? God is righteous, we are not. God is consistent, we're inconsistent. Essentially, whatever God is, <laughs> we're not that, 
right? We aren't. God is everything we are. And the thought of having to give account to God can be terrifying. In fact, that is why so many people avoid church. That, that's why. Uh, because going to church is essentially putting yourself one step closer to having to deal with God. It's putting yourself one step closer to having to deal with that thing that you did or that person that you wronged, right? Or the, the person that you are. It puts you closer to having to deal with that. You can't just put that in the back of your mind and forget about it, right? But when it comes to God, there's, there, there's this fear. And perhaps for a lot of us, maybe it was the way you were raised, uh, the way that your parents went uh, uh, about disciplining, disciplining and handling authority or churches that you went through, uh, the way that they did it, the way your pastor taught growing up. Maybe some of you just met some really weird Christians along the way that just really warped your idea and you assume that's how God was um, with all of it. I'm not sure where it came from, but this universal feeling exists that if I have to deal with God, the first news is going to be bad news. We just kind of have it, right? Now, here's the interesting thing, is the message of the Christmas story, uh, the message of the Christmas story should alleviate all of that, right? It, it should cause that to not be a thing. It should erase those things. And if you and I really embraced the Christmas story, Right, really took hold of it, we would not respond in that manner when it came to our thinking with God. Right? Because if we were to embrace the Christmas story, the whole you know, run down the hall and hide that you would do as a kid, the whole uh, rehearse all the good things you've done to counteract the bad things so you can make an argument to defend yourself, right? the whole uh, avoiding church because you're afraid to get anywhere near God kind of deal, like that, that, that whole unhealthy fear of God would evaporate if we embraced the Christmas story. And if we understood it, you would no longer interact with God based on fear. That wouldn't be a part of the equation. Now, the irony of all of this is that all of us know the Christmas story, <laughs> right? We do. If you're a preacher, <laughs> you get to this time of year and it's like, well, I wonder what the sermon series is going to be on, <laughs> right? Like you guys have no idea the pressure to try and talk about Christmas in a way every year that makes something kind of new and interesting about it, right? That and Easter, I dread them so much. The two most wonderful celebrations of the year, I live with dread to try and figure out how to make them fresh, right? And so it's like, oh, what are we going to talk about at Christmas time? Oh, I don't know. Any ideas? Right? You know the story, you're familiar with it. None of you are hearing the Christmas story for the first time this Christmas season, right? You're not. In fact, not only do you know the story, many of you have been in the story, right? Any of you have ever played a sheep or an animal as a child in a Christmas play, right? Maybe you were a wise man, a shepherd. You know, if you were really lucky, you got to be Mary or Joseph, right? Maybe some of you or the kids that they maybe created a spot, you know, just so you could be up on the stage, you know, a tree, <laughs> you know, you'd be the tree. I remember when Tech was in, was in uh, daycare and they were having their big Christmas production and I showed up and they had the gall to make Tech part of the chorus. 
And I was in, how dare they? Didn't they know my son had star potential uh, and that he held it? And so I spent my entire time watching his first Christmas program just stewing because they had him stuck back there between some kid that couldn't stop picking his nose. Like I was just, <laughs> it's terrible. I digress. Um, where were we? Oh yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, my point is, is the story isn't new. We all know it. We've all been a part of it, right? It's something we've grown up with. But why is it that we can read it, we can watch it, we can act it out, we can celebrate it, but yet still for so many of us, the message really still kind of eludes us. We don't really grasp the full context of what's happening. So what I want to do is over the next few weeks is I want to kind of lead us through the very familiar words of the Christmas story as we go through this season. Um, but I want us to really pay attention to the words. The ones that we just kind of skip over as part of the story that we're familiar with, because there are some words within this story that are really life-changing, right? That, that whether it's the first time you're hearing them or the thousandth time, um, they're life-changing. It's a message that is intended to take away the fear of interacting with God. Right, Because that fear robs you of intimacy with God. And when it comes down to it, intimacy with God was the whole point of all of it. That was why such a high price was paid for us to be able to enter into relationship with God. So I'm going to read you the story over the next few weeks. And we're going to start in Luke uh, chapter 2. And we have four different accounts of the life of Jesus. And they're all different. And they all focus on different aspects. Um, they even have discrepancies between the four of them. These weren't four guys writing these, uh, these gospels that we have who like got together for a weekend on the shores of the Mediterranean and said, hey, let's make sure we talk about that. Let's get this piece in there. Nobody mentioned this. Let's leave that out. Like it wasn't a coordinated effort, right? And Luke gives us uh, the most read version of the Christmas story. The one that when you think about, you probably are thinking about Luke. And you need to know this. When all of this happened, right? When all of this took place in the first century, it was a time of unbelievable fear when it came to dealing with God, right? It was off the charts. The Jewish people were in a covenant relationship with God at the time which means that God was supposed to be on their side. However, God had not done anything for them for like hundreds of years, right? For 40 years, Rome had the Jewish people by the throat, right? They were overtaxed. The religious system was falling apart, right? About half of the priests had decided they were gonna side with Rome in a whole, you know, well, if you can't beat them, join them kind of attitude, Right? There was political confusion. There was financial uncertainty. They had no voice in their own future. Like when, when all of this was taking place, it was a dark time for the Jewish people. And on top of all of that going on, the Christmas story starts with Caesar ordering a census, right? And it affects everybody's life and there's nothing they can do about it. They're forced to participate. And in that environment, God delivers the best message that we could possibly receive. So here it is, Luke chapter two, beginning in verse one. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken 
of the entire Roman world. So Caesar's sitting around and he's thinking, huh, I wonder how many people we have now. What was really behind that question and that thought was, huh, I wonder how much tax money we should be bringing in, right? I know we're getting some, but let's make sure we're getting all we should be getting, right? So let's make everybody register. Verse two, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their hometown to register. Now, everybody had to go back to where they were from, the place that they were born. Now, if you were living where you were born, that's not a big deal. That's a fairly easy thing to do. Uh, however, if you had moved, this was a huge deal. You had to pack up and register within a certain time frame. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. Now, this journey that he's got to make to get back to where he's supposed to register. This is about 170 to 200 miles, right? Which doesn't take us too long on a highway, as long as you're not taking 95, but it doesn't take too long. But back then, that was a deal. And his soon-to-be wife, extremely pregnant. Not a little pregnant, a lot pregnant at the time, right? Do any day. Now, imagine the conversation that they've got to have between the two of them. Honey, listen, I know you're ready to give birth, but we've got to go to Bethlehem, right? But since you're pregnant, I don't want you to have to walk the entire way. So here's what we're going to do, getting ready to give birth pregnant. You get to ride a donkey for 200 miles. <laughs> now, I have zero idea what it's like to be pregnant. <laughs> it would probably be better if I let some of you come up and give us an exam and talk to us about what that's like. I'm pretty sure... About a week before giving birth, none of you wanted to ride 200 miles on a donkey. That I'm pretty sure of, right? But that was the conversation, right? For 200. And not only are we going to ride this donkey with you nine months pregnant for 200 miles, but we are going to go through some of the most dangerous places on earth. We might not even live through this, right? And you may give birth along the way. Who knows? That, that riding that donkey might shake that kid right out of you. We, we don't know, right? But as much as I fear what may happen to you or me on this journey, I fear Rome more. That was the position that the Jewish people found themselves in. So, honey, <laughs> we're going to Bethlehem. While they were there, in Bethlehem, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, more good news, because there was no guest room available for them. So here it is. Thank you, Caesar, for understanding our situation, giving us a pass, not. Thank you, God, for being there, watching out for us, not even a room for us when we show up. And then this scene. This scene, which is so famous that most of you could probably quote it if I got it up here. But there's a truth in it that if it got from our heads to our hearts, it could change our perspective on God for the rest of our life. Listen to this. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, which essentially means they're just sitting in a field in the middle of the night, staring up at the stars in the sky. Not much to do. 
They were probably thinking about the kinds of things that you may or may not think about if you're out camping somewhere, maybe sitting around a fire, nobody's saying anything, you're just kind of staring up at the sky, right? Not really talking, just kind of wondering, is there there anything out there? What's the point of life? (laughs) Why am I here? I feel so small when looking at the stars, right? This is what they did night after night after night. This was their life. And then this, an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And that little word translated shone uh, there, there's only one other time that that word shone is used in the New Testament. And that was when a bright light knocked a guy off of a horse and completely changed his life, right? That, that was, and so it was a powerful light that shone. And, and these, these shepherds, when this happened, you know, they, they went flat onto the ground, right? The, the sheep scattered. It probably took them days to chase these sheep down and find them and bring them back when this happened, right? And their, their eyes were not adjusted for light. They were staring up at the nighttime sky and all of a sudden, bam, bright light. So they were probably blinded in the same way of maybe walking out of the movie theater into the bright light, you know? They weren't ready for it. It hurt. There was pain involved in seeing what was going on, right? And they were terrified. Terrified, which of course they were. Of course they were. They were just out in the middle of a field by themselves alone. And then suddenly the sky lights up like it never has before. And their first thought was God is here and this is bad news. If God is showing up to us, we're in trouble, right? Something's gone on, which is the same thing that we would think if we found ourselves in their situation. This is not good. But the angel, knowing what they were thinking, said to them, do not be afraid. In other words, the angel says to them, whatever my presence brought to your mind, you can erase that. Right? Whatever you thought was going to happen here <laughs> as we showed up and scared you to death, that's not going to happen. Whatever your assumptions are, your assumptions are wrong. Whatever you thought about yourself in relation to what is happening in heaven, forget that. Forget that. You don't need to be afraid. Four, I bring you good news that will cause great joy. And then this is the kicker. And this is the part that I'm not really sure that I have the ability to explain well enough that we can really grasp hold of how big of a deal this next part is. The good news is for all the people. Angel says, I've got a message. And the message isn't good news just for good people. It's not good news for holy people. It's not good news for Jewish people. It's not good news for righteous people. It's not good news for people who show up at church every Sunday and never miss a service. It's not good news for just for the people who keep their promises. It's not good news for the people who read their Bible at least three times a week, right? It's not good news for people who are good husbands, good wives, good children. It isn't good news for the good people. The angel says, this is good news for all people, all, 
right? God has decided to do something great and it has nothing to do with anyone's behavior. It has nothing to do with that, right? God has decided to do something and what he is doing violates the law that you have lived by your entire life, which is basically the law of good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. People get what they deserve, No, what God is doing violates all of that. This is good news for all the people, which means your behavior, and this is what's so hard, so hard for us to grasp, especially in the way that that religion and Christianity has been presented to us on such a regular basis. Your behavior is irrelevant. It's irrelevant. God has decided to do this, not because of you, not because of what you've done. God has decided to do this in spite of you. And this is why you don't have to be afraid. This is why. You see, the things that make us afraid when it comes to the idea of dealing with God and having to, to, to come face to face with God is all of the stuff we've done because we know what we've done, right? And we've done some not great things. Next week, I was gonna make this a surprise. Next week, I'm gonna have everybody have an opportunity to tell us one of the not great things you've done. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. But we've all done not great things, which is what causes us to fear our interactions with God. Right? And the angel says, I have good news because what it's about what God is getting ready to do, what God's choosing to do. Don't be afraid. The angel goes on today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. And in other words, this is a big line because the angel says, look, God knows what you need and you don't need a helper. You don't need a disciplinarian. You don't need more rules. You don't need just to try harder. He's giving you what you need so that you don't have uh, to base a relationship leveraged on what you have or have not done. He has given a savior. And he is Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. And listen to this part. As if the angel had not scared them enough up to this point. Suddenly, a great company, a whole lot of. Now, if little tech was a part of this, I'd probably be sitting there as a shepherd upset that tech was just part of the great company and not the main angel. But we'll let that go for now. A great company, right, shows up. A great company appeared with the angel. And listen, they were praising God and saying, listen to what they say. Glory to God in the highest heavens. They did not show up and say, lucky are you, O lowly shepherds. Right? They're saying, God gets the credit for everything that's getting ready to happen. It all started with God. It's leveraged by God. And it's gonna end with God. It has nothing to do with your actions. And it is for Everyone, everyone, glory to God in the highest. God gets the glory, but we do get something too. 
we get something too. It says, glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, this is huge. This is really big. Because this is the beginning of the message of Christianity that extends throughout the entire New Testament. Right? This is, this is the message that starts here. That then becomes fulfilled with what Christ does. That at that point, people literally give up their lives to get the message out of Jerusalem and out of first century to the rest of the world. Right? Th this is it. This is where it starts. When you and I understand and really grasp hold of the idea that God sent a savior into this world and has offered salvation to all people, regardless of what they have or have not done. When that ideal settles in our heart, you know what happens? We have peace. We have peace. That is what we get. We get peace. But as long as you factor in what you have or haven't done into your relationship with God, two, two things are going to happen. One, God doesn't get any credit. Right? He doesn't, because what you've done then is you've made it about what you have or haven't done instead of what God has done. And God's like, no, 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 no. The focus isn't on what you have or haven't done. The focus is what I'm done. And if your relationship with God is based on what you have or haven't done, that makes it like every other relationship that you have. And it makes God like every other person you're in relationship with. And that wouldn't be good news. That would be fair news, maybe. That would be same news because there's nothing different in that type of relationship. Here's the second thing that happens if you make it all about what you have or haven't done. You don't get peace. And here's why. Because if it's about what you could have done, you always could have done better. You always could have done more. You always could have tried harder. What you do, no matter how much you do, will never be enough and you will never find peace based on what you do in the relationship. It's only when we're able to realize that it's not about what we've done, but about what God has done, sending a savior into the world for all people, that God gets the glory and we get peace. And that's the way it works. See, our fear of God is based on our actions. But Christmas is not about our actions. It's about what God is doing and has done in spite of our actions. And when we accept that, we find the peace that opens the door to intimacy with God in a way that he wants every single one of us to experience it. See, originally, originally God intended a direct relationship, intimate relationship with people. Like that's the way that it was designed from the beginning. But when sin entered the picture, that all got messed up, right? In the story of Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they immediately started hiding from God because they assumed based on what they had done, any interaction with God was not going to be good. And that has carried down through all of us. 
And God knew as long as sin was a part of the, of the equation, that intimacy could never happen. People who were living in the Old Testament under that covenant, under the sacrificial uh, system, they did not have intimate relationships with God in the way that God intended us to have relationship with him. It's just not what it was because sin was a part of it. But sin is a reality, right? Sin is a part of all of our past. We've all failed in different areas. So what is God to do? <laughs> he said, here's what I'll do. I'll send a savior. I'll send a savior. I will send someone to take the penalty of that sin so that you no longer have to have sin as part of the equation with God. And I don't know if it's possible for us to fully wrap our minds around the ramifications of that action. That in Christmas, God said, don't be afraid because I'm taking the steps to remove the barrier between us so that we can have the relationship I intended for us to have from the beginning. And once you take on that truth in your soul, Right? You will realize that your failures that you have, that we all have, do not play a role in our relationship with God. And God says, when you figure that out, you will then be able to give me all of the glory and you will find peace. Now, John, who spent tra time traveling all over the place with Jesus, he, he, wrote, he wrote these words, and this is powerful. Look at how John sums up this idea. He says, there is no fear in love. No fear in love. See, in a relationship that is characterized by unconditional love, there is no fear. And the problem with not fully understanding and embracing the Christmas message is that when you don't fully embrace it, you are still left with that element of fear. And as long as there is fear, there is not a healthy relationship. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love. That is, I'm going to do for you exactly what you don't deserve, right? I'm going to give you what you have not earned. I'm going to do for you, even though you deserve bad. But perfect love drives out fear. And when it comes down to it, that is the message of Christmas. God removing the element of sin from our lives so that we no longer have to fear, which keeps us separated from him. That fear, which is why we are afraid when it comes to God. He says it drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. That's why we're afraid because we're afraid of the punishment that's coming down the road. Of course we're afraid. We should be. We are sinners who are dealing and in relationship with a holy God. But the message of Christmas is I have good news for everyone. I am removing sin from the equation. You don't have to be afraid any longer. Fear is replaced by peace. And the ironic thing about all of this uh, is that uh, because of our fear of God, we have a tendency to avoid God 
and many times run to the very things that we really should be afraid of. Right, the things we really should be, and it creates more shame, it creates more chaos, it creates more heartbreak, it creates more fear because then we've added more to our mess ups that now we have to carry as we face God. Because for some reason we keep drifting back to the idea that our relationship with God is dependent on our actions being good enough, but God <laughs> wants to save us from that idea. And that that is the message of Christmas. Fear not, God says. My favor rests on you. I have good news. So that's how it starts. Next week, we'll continue on. And we'll see where he goes next. But for this week, the idea of Christmas is that it's not about your actions. And since it's not, you don't have to fear God and you can have peace. It's the gift of Christmas. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time of year that it is so easy to just get busy, to do the things we have to do, to make it through to the end, trying not to be exhausted. For all of the elements that Christmas brings with it, the celebrations, the families, the gifts, the, some of those things which are, are wonderful things, but aren't what Christmas is. God, I thank you for these moments that you give us, that you can bring us back to the message of what this is really all about. And for those in this room, God, that may be as familiar as they are with the story, maybe for who knows, have grown up in Christianity and in church, God, but maybe still deal with the idea of I'm not good enough and my actions have disqualified me from relationship with God. Or there is a fear of God based on our failures. Lord, I pray that in this Christmas season, you begin to break that idea in our minds. That we begin to really be able to comprehend what it is that you did for us. That Christmas is about what you chose to do, not about our actions. And it has permanently removed sin from the equation of our relationship. And we can have intimacy in the way that you intended. Lord, I cannot imagine a better gift. I thank you for all you've given us in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us as we kick off this Christmas season at Tapestry. Uh, look forward to uh, mission and parade this week and then seeing you again next Sunday as we continue on in our Christmas story.